Rebuilding a Life for God, Studies in Nehemiah. I hope you all have study notes and a prayer list. Tonight, the topic is Rebuilding Your Life in the Face of Opposition. We're starting Nehemiah chapter 4, nine verses, Nehemiah 4, 1 through 9. I'll read. Now, when Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish? They don't have much to work with. And burned ones at that. Three, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, yes. What they are building, if a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. Not going to last. Nehemiah 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. Give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. It's not just that they've provoked Nehemiah. Nehemiah says they've provoked you, God. They've provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Then Nehemiah says, verse 6, So we built the wall. All the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. We prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. So here's where we're going tonight. It's not a complicated direction. The key thing is, no sooner does Nehemiah and his team set their hands to a specific task of rebuilding the walls, no sooner does he start, but he encounters these specific forces designed to discourage, hinder, impede the construction process. He's done everything right. He's prayed. We looked at that. Five months praying. He had prepared. He had gotten permission. He had organized. He stockpiled materials. He made a good start. Not until the walls actually started to go up. Okay? That's important. Not until the walls actually started to go up did these opposing voices make themselves heard. You can see it. Verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry, greatly enraged. He jeered at the Jews. 3. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, What they're building, if a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their wall. Seven, 
when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that we were repairing the walls of Jerusalem, that it was going forward and that the breaches were being closed, they were very angry. It's not accidental. It's piling up. I think we're all aware, we've been around our Bibles and church long enough to know that there's more than just uh, the visible realm involved when we undertake any advancement in the kingdom of God. I think we all know our Bibles well enough. We get Ephesians 6. You know, our struggle is not with flesh and blood. We know how important it is to stand, having done all to stand against the enemy. I, I, we know that. Everyone in this room, I think, knows that. It's not quite all that's going on in these verses, though. It's not enough to know there's an enemy. And it's not enough to know that there's going to be opposition to all that the Spirit of God wants to do in your life. The point of these verses is, it's that, but it's a bit more. The point of these verses is that these voices, they aren't silent. They speak. They speak to your heart and your mind but only once you've committed to the Spirit's rebuilding work in your life, at some specific point. Paul talked about it. Faced the same thing in his own life. You know the words in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we've got these bodies, just you, me, we walk in the flesh, that's how we live. We're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. For what? To, to destroy strongholds. Look at these words in verse 5. We, we destroy arguments. Arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And then he says, and take every thought captive, the thoughts, take every thought captive to obey Christ. I find that striking, that I've got a head, you've got a head. And if the brain's working, stuff happens up there. Thoughts. You get them, I get them. And, and there's something striking to me in the way Paul says, so you want to follow Jesus. You want his lordship extended. You want fruit. You want growth. You want maturity. Don, here's what you're going to have to know. Thoughts, the ones that go on right here, they have to be captured. My thoughts run away from my own control if I let them. So do yours. You blame people for problems and situations. You get angry. You want to quit. We wallow in self-pity. Blame the church. This is Paul saying, Don, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to rein those thoughts in. There's more unseen things going on when you let these thoughts run than you're aware of. I mean, if what Paul is saying is true, 
We need to rethink. You know, I'm sure nobody in this room, I don't think anyone in this room would say, you know, let's just leave here. Let's all go and just have a seance. Let's just get involved in the occult. We'd say, no, no, no. Boy, John, that's, that's Satan stuff. And the same person, I'm like you, the same person will carry a grudge to someone else in the body of Christ and not see Satan at work at all. Do you get what I'm saying? That's what I'm talking about. He's saying this is, this is how the devil works. So those thoughts, Don, you've got to take them captive. You've got to rein them in. You've got to watch what's happening. Notice the nature of the enemy in those words. I wonder how many Christians, and I'm not, I'm not taking a position here. Don't, don't misread me. Won't go out on Halloween because they think, well, that's just really questionable. But they don't deal with the sin of anger and, and see Satan working in the same way. That's what Paul is writing about. That's what Paul's writing about. Strongholds, verse 4. Arguments, verse 5. Opinions, verse 5. How many, how many Christians are unaware of the assault of the enemy on their mind through the words of others, the values of the spirit of the age? That's what Paul's writing about in those verses. He's talking about the enemy's ability to, to, to work taking thoughts, spreading them in the wrong direction, my commitment, my confidence in what the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life, my reliance, my reliance on divine revelation. Remember, remember, whoever you're talking to and wherever they are in their spiritual journey, a lot of people having a hard time these days, remember that the compromise with divine truth isn't an accident. Anyone's deconstruction involves more than just their own intellect, though they don't see it that way. There's thoughts that aren't being captured to the obedience of Christ. Even in your failures and struggles, the enemy's most sinister work is so hard to trace. He's, you usually just end up blaming yourself very easy to allow the enemy's belittling accusations just to find a lodging place in your mind under the guise of humility, maybe. Or worse still, you can, in the middle of your, your struggle, the mess, you can blame God for things he had nothing to do with. You begin to confuse the source of the accusations in your mind. Boy, God's really hard to please. If my conscience is his voice, why is he constantly running me down? He never seems satisfied with anything I do. He's always telling me I'm no good. And you look at what happened to these people as they worked on the walls. You've had it happen in your life. There you are, doing your best, working hard, serving the Lord, going to church, praying, reading your Bible, caring for the poor, trying to love your enemies. And suddenly, there's this barrage of things that go on inside your own soul as if they had a life of their own. And I want to look at three of them. One, it's in verse two. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Verse two. Do you see it? Look how 
weak you are. That's what that word feeble means. Look how weak you are. You're, you're going you're gonna to fix the situation that you're in? Really? You're going to do that, are you? You don't have what it takes to make things right. You'll never make it. You can't do it. And, and I just want to say to every Christian in this room, and I wish everybody in the church was here, every Christian will hear those words a million times in his or her walk with Jesus. You're going to pray for that situation? Situation in Israel? Really? You think you're here, your little prayer is going to fix everything? You're going to try and put that marriage back together? Can't do it. Too far gone. You're going to give how much to world missions this year? You can't afford that. You think God's going to heal you of that sickness? It's not the flu. The timing of those thoughts is never accidental. The enemy picks such critical times to do his work. Look at the text. The Jews had made a start. They had determined in their hearts to begin the building work. Morale was high, but they had just started the work up to about the waist, it says. It wasn't finished yet. That's a very important point because... Because the work wasn't finished yet, there's still plenty of rubble all over the place. And the enemy can come and say, see, look at that mess. Look at that mess. You're in terrible shape. Look at all the work that has to be done. You're never going to get that done. Nothing is easier to poke fun at than a great work not yet completed. That's how Satan works. Nothing is easier to poke fun at than a great work not yet completed. Nothing is easier to get discouraged about than something begun. You're expending a lot of energy, but you're still nowhere near finished. That can be wearying. And because of this, nothing is easier for the devil than to get you to assess your life at the beginning of God's work and make you feel guilty because it doesn't look the way God wants it to look at the completion of that work. Do you see how practical this is in all of our lives? He always picks just the right time to enter the recesses of your mind and whisper, you're really a crummy parent. good husband would have a better marriage than you do. Boy, you don't understand the word as well as so-and-so. Look at all those habits that are still present in your life. You've been fighting them for ages. Yeah. And, and, and what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you tonight is simply this. Listen, all of those accusations may still be true, but just listening to them is not going to get the building done. And you'll live your life spinning your tires if you're going to stop and argue with your sins about your sins with the devil. 
Martin Luther said it centuries ago. It's brilliant advice. Only talk to Jesus about your sins. Never talk to Satan. Only talk to Jesus about your sins. Notice something else in that fourth verse. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. Give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. So these people come. You notice it twice, but this is the first time. The people come with these accusations. They're tearing the work down verbally, discouraging Nehemiah, all sorts of accusations, pointing out every flaw, every mistake. Nehemiah doesn't talk to them at all. Nehemiah goes to God. He's not going to stop building to argue with his enemies. He knows. We've studied it. He has letters from the king. He knows he has the authority of Artaxerxes behind his actions. He knows he has all the letters of of permission. So rather than waste valuable building time arguing with critics, he has the good sense just to take the matter to God. Lord, you deal with them. I got a wall to build. This is one of the highest yet maybe ignored expressions of faith we can ever manifest. Trusting God with those who wrong you in some way. I was looking at Romans 12, 17 to 19. Repay no one evil for evil. That's the tendency, because it feels just. If you've done something evil, somebody's got to even things out, right? Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. That's like Nehemiah. Just keep building. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. That's exactly what Nehemiah does. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And Nehemiah just says, God, you just go ahead. Don't waste valuable time that could be put into the rebuilding of your life, scrapping with critics. And don't let their accusations rob you of confidence in God. Let me share with you a great verse. You know it. It's Philippians 1.6. Is that in your notes? Read it out loud with me, everyone. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, think about what you just read. We should all take great encouragement from those words. Nehemiah's got the walls started, but they're nowhere done, and that's when the accusations and the criticisms all come and pile on. Do you see what Philippians 1.6 means? God did not take me on because he thought I was in pretty good shape to start with. When God saved Don Horvin, he assumed, the text says, it says, God assumed he would be working with my life until Jesus comes back. Right? So, so what that means is, God doesn't... Do, down on me with the walls so far up and say, gee, I thought you'd be done by now. Never happens that way. 
Because when God saved me, he just assumed the work had to go on until he came back. He didn't expect me to be a finished product tonight. Maybe someone else did. God didn't. Take comfort in that. He's not about to give up. He's not about to quit. He's committed to the work until that day. Let's look at the next accusation. Point two. Will they sacrifice? Verse two. It's a quick question, but it's a big point. Nothing was as crucial or more central to Old Covenant worship than the offering of sacrifices to God. And the reason for that is God in his plan, nothing was more central to his presence among the people than, well, his ongoing forgiveness of their sins. Sin always separates us from God. Sin has to be dealt with before anything else good can happen in our lives. The sacrifices pointed to Jesus and his cross. They pointed to the way of restored, joyful fellowship with a holy God. So purity, fellowship, worship. That's what those sacrifices were all about. And that's why they were then and continue to be now the central issue of the enemy's attack cannot stand, he cannot stand the power of grace in a believer's trusting heart and mind. Are you going to sacrifice? That's what they're asking, Nehemiah. You really think you're going to be clean before God? Look what you've done. If you were God, would you forgive you? How many times have you failed in the same way? You think God's going to keep cleansing? It's not so much that he sows doubt about the truth of the divinity of Christ or the fact that people can't be saved by putting their trust in anything but him. Those are theological truths. They're so well established in the word and in the average Christian's mind that it's pretty hard to deny him. That's not the issue here. What he's leading you to doubt is the continuous power, the lingering power of the blood of Jesus Christ in your life all through 2023. It's the power of forgiveness today that he wants to wipe out of your heart. And the whole purpose of the attack is to keep you from making approach to the throne of God in powerful prayer and worship. And that's the main reason for those really hard-hitting words in Ephesians 4.16. The writer says, Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace. Not just believing in grace. Find grace that helps in the time of need. So, so the wording of that verse, it shows... The writer's intention isn't only to tell us that there is, in fact, a throne of grace. He's not out to prove that. His point isn't even to tell us to come there. The, the main point is telling us how to come. There's a, there's a kind of attitude, a mindset. You have to come with confidence, the text says. The old King James says boldly. 
Why? Because there's going to be enough opposition to keep you away from the throne of grace when you fail. You've got to push through stuff. The devil hates a confident approach to God for grace because he has no weapon for that. He has no weapon for that. It's why he wants to try and sap your mind of joy in coming before the Lord today, this evening, as we gather in his house. He doesn't mind you being in church, but he wants you to be, by a thousand different accusations and distractions, to be prevented from actual participation and reception of God's grace through the cross of Jesus. So whenever you fail, sin is a serious enough problem. Come to the throne of grace. Plan on the enemy's whispers. You're going to sacrifice? Three. Will they finish up in a day? Verse 2. What a stupid question. What's the answer to the question? Well, no. Of course not. That kind of job is never going to be done in a day, and it's not a bad thing for me to remind myself of that either. This attack shows that the enemy can do real damage just through my own ignorance and lack of self-understanding. The work isn't going to be done in one church service, one retreat, one camp meeting, one book, one podcast. It's not going to fix everything. One counselor is not going to solve all my problems. We've already looked at it, Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began, there's began and completion. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. But please notice the work, my life, your life, it's just a work begun. You may have been a Christian for 40 years. The work is still just underway. It's just begun. The accomplishment of forgiveness is absolutely complete. Can't be added to. But the reconstructing of my life is a work in process. God graciously reminds us all of that fact. As surely it as it was begun, it will be, it'll be finished as I keep my trust in the Lord. Four. Here's a great way to close the passage. Go to God and post a guard. When I was a kid, I used to hear a lot about watch and pray. We don't hear about it as much anymore. It's the idea here. Go to God post a guard. I know some people might call it a lack of faith, but I just, I love it. I can't fully explain it, but there's something about that verse that I relate to. It's good to pray. It's good to seek the face of God. Do that first. But are you also alert to the tactics of the enemy? All these voices are coming to Nehemiah. He prays. We already talked about it. But he also posts a guard. Be alert to the voice of the enemy. No, I didn't say listen to the voice of the enemy. I said listen for the voice of the enemy, right? Those are two different things. 
Paul wrote about that to the church at Corinth. Last page of my notes. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Look at 11. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. Pray, post a guard. Know what the enemy is trying to do as you build your life in Christ. He will seek to establish deception, discouragement in your own mind. Remember, since the cross, the devil's only power over me is his ability to deceive me into believing his lies. Whatever else you do or don't do right, don't cooperate with the enemy to create your own problems. Expect opposition to the rebuilding of your soul. Be like Nehemiah. Pray and set a guard. Know the truth. Never forget God's enabling grace. And that way you'll never give Satan's biggest lies a chance. And everybody said, you're supposed to say, I'm going to do that, Pastor Don. Yeah. 